Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Craig Harper, Chief Operations Officer of J.B. Hunt. Craig, thank you for talking to me today. Oh, it's great to be here, Matt. Always enjoy visiting with you. Well, you know, Craig, one of the things I've uh, known about you over the past few years is how you are a real boundary spanner. You're always looking at things on the boundary. And one of them has to do with energy, power supply. How will trucks of the future be powered? You're thinking about that. So not only are you dealing with the operations of the company, but you're also thinking about the future, which a lot of times people that are in a similar position to yours are more internally focused. You also look at the external. Well, I think our founder, uh, Mr. Hunt, taught (laughs) us a long time ago, you you better be creative and continue to look at, you know, what's coming around the corner, you know, be the disruptor instead of being disrupted. And uh, he taught us that with intermodal back when he started talking about intermodal in 1989, everybody would have thought it was crazy for a, a trucker to be talking to the railroad. And I witnessed it firsthand because when I came to JB Hunt in 1992, we were just taking on those containers and I remember all the stories. People didn't think they were going to last. They couldn't understand how you could lift this container uh, full of freight and it not break in half. And obviously, intermodals turned out to be you know, approximately 60% of our business. And it was uh, great that uh, Mr. Hunt uh, led us into intermodal. And then since then, we've had other innovations with, with dedicated business and then with our J.B. Hunt 360 with our digital freight matching platform. So you've always got to be looking to see what's uh, coming around the corner and see how you can participate in that and determine if it's a a threat or if it's an opportunity or if it's somewhat both and you need need to adjust. And now I will say this, Wayne Garrison, our chairman, when uh, he came back to the company in 1995 and I'm sat down with him because I was running the uh, hazardous waste division at that point. And he asked me if it could be a billion dollar industry. And I said, no, I thought, you know, 150 or 200 million would be a good number. And he said, well, if you can't be a billion dollars, you better find something else to do because you're nothing but a distraction. <laughs> so I would say it's it's in our DNA to look for opportunities that have significant opportunities and upside in them. Well, you know, intermodal certainly is a good example of that. Not only did it transform J.B. Hunt, but it really transformed the industry and wound up delivering a lot lower costs for shippers, but it's also been good for the environment. Absolutely. You know, it's one of those stories that really turns out to be the win-win situation because it has offered lower costs to our customers, uh, very consistent service, and it's uh, 250% more efficient than hauling that same freight Uh, from pickup to delivery uh, on a truck. Well, Craig, discussing intermodal from that perspective is a good segue into what we're talking about today. Alternative fuels. Alternative fuels has the potential of the same kind of thing, reducing costs for everybody, uh, being better for the environment. And 
you know, we've all known we should be investigating alternative fuels from a, the perspective of the environment, but it seems like there's a lot of interest in it right now. What's really driving that? Yeah, this uh, goes back, and I, I know you and I have talked before, and I say sometimes i got to hold back because I get too optimistic about some new technologies, and I think the time period ought to be uh, sped up instead of lengthened. And alternative fuels falls into that category because back in 2008, when diesel was selling at 474 a gallon, and CNG offered two dollars a discount per diesel gallon equivalent, and that was on CNG and LNG was about a dollar discount on diesel gallon equivalent. And I really thought natural gas was going to take off. And we've experimented with natural gas, and um, you know I, I wish I could tell you that the story was more positive. It's worked well in the refuse industry, you know, with all the different waste companies that uh, don't run that many miles and they stay within a certain area. It's worked well in the bus industry, but it's been a challenge on on the the trucking side. But I'm really excited about uh, the electric side, whether we're talking on battery or whether we're talking fuel cell. Uh, But again, we're going to have to see this technology come in in incremental steps and have success with it before we can really leapfrog into it and also we have to have the equipment available you know that's one thing get asked a question about uh, why we don't have more already well the oems aren't producing them yet you know we're anxiously awaiting for that production line with the oems we're we're testing some trucks right now on the electric side the freightliner uh, daimler's trucks the uh, E-Cascadia and the EM2, both uh, the E-Cascadia is the large uh, sleeper cab, and the EM2 is more for like uh, local and regional deliveries. And of course, another option is the hydrogen fuel cell mm-hmm. approach. The electric requires a lot of batteries, and yeah. uh, then there's some sustainability issues around the batteries in some cases. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see this come about. You know, and on the prior question, you, you did ask me what's really been uh, the impetus for speeding this up yeah. right now. A lot of that has to deal with the regulations that you see taking place over really in the European countries. Putting timetables or when they're looking to phase out the ICE engines, as we call them, the internal combustion in engines, and really phase out of diesel and gasoline. And you're seeing timetables like at 2035, 2040. So that's really uh, been part of this reason that you've seen so much activity. And then just recently, even out in California, where the governor passed a mandate that you will no longer have internal combustion engines available for sale at 2035 in the auto side and then also in the truck side, except for special use cases. So that's really increased a lot of the talk and in, in the activity. And then getting back to the question about, you know, the whole electric side, yes, you have the two options, the battery, where you have the energy, obviously, in the battery cell, and then the fuel cell, which is really a chemical reaction, which is great because the, the byproduct of the hydrogen is water. So you say, well, well gosh, that sounds like a, a great scenario. Why don't we do that? But there's one big problem, Matt, the fuel cost of hydrogen right now is like four times that of diesel. So here's a question that might come up in people's minds about that. Hydrogen's the most plentiful element yeah. in the universe. Why is it so expensive? That, 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 that's <laughs> a great question. The problem is it's attached to something. It's attached to in water. It's attached in methane, and you got to strip it off. The, the best way of stripping it off is using uh, electrolysis, and so you have to use 
electricity to strip that hydrogen away. And right now there's three different types of hydrogen that you'll hear people talking about. There's gray and there's blue and there's green. The most prominent hydrogen is the gray hydrogen, about 95% of hydrogen worldwide. Unfortunately, to use that, you're using fossil fuels and you lose a lot of the efficiency in going through the process. Best case, 30% of the power that you have, all the way up to 60% that it takes to strip that hydrogen away from the water or away from the methane. So it's interesting, this is off the subject just a bit, but I want to explore it for a second. You are the Chief Operations Officer of J.B. Hunt. You've been at J.B. Hunt for almost 30 years, I believe. And you talk like an engineering professor almost. <laughs> how, did you, how did you learn all of this? I don't know if you set that up or not, but actually <laughs> I, I'm a chemistry major from this university. Oh, I didn't know you were a chemistry major. Yeah, I am a chemistry major from the U of A. And we joke sometimes because um, I went through dental school and got in dental school before I graduated. And then after I got out, I, I couldn't stand the thought of being a dentist. I did graduate from <laughs> dental school. And so I went and took numerous jobs, but I never had finished my college degree. I lacked a world lit in uh, psychology. And so I came back and took those courses and actually graduated 20 years after my start date. But yes, I, I am a chemistry major and proud to be a graduate of this fine school here at the University of Arkansas. Well, that kind of understanding of chemistry, I would imagine, is really helpful in thinking about these things. It is, and then one of the jobs, you know, J.B. Hunt was my seventh job that I've had, and one of my jobs was actually running a hazardous waste company where we recycled chemicals into fuel. And so when you're doing that, you you really break out your chemistry book again because there's not a whole lot of quality going into uh, what's in the waste uh, barrel. It uh, has been beneficial, I would say, in, in getting back into all this uh, hydrogen fuel cell and battery technology. Well, with a lot of new technologies like this, you often get which comes first, the chicken or the egg problem, because you need economies of scale to be able to make them economical. But it's hard to get adoption without low costs. And so what needs to happen to speed up adoption? Yeah, you're exactly right on the chicken or the egg analogy here. And I really think we've got to continue to have government assistance with grant money. And I don't believe any technology should have to be propped up for extended periods of time. But right now, you've, you've got to have that infrastructure come about to power the electric truck. There's a lot of work that has to be done on infrastructure. I'm talking about on the battery side and the electricity side, and then you go over to fuel cell. And when you and talk about fuel cell, you're always referring to hydrogen. That's right. right? That's right. And I'll say, say this, things could change. You know, we've seen change come about quickly before. And you've got major companies investing heavily into fuel cell technology. You know, recently you've had Daimler make an announcement to join forces with, with Volvo. You have Toyota and working with Hino, the truck division. Um, you've got a lot of work going on with Shell and with uh, BP on the renewable side. But You've got to do something to encourage people to invest in this technology. And part of being sustainable means you're sustainable as a company, too. So if uh, a company like J.B. Hunt, who is competing on a very price-sensitive area of hauling freight, 
you can't go out with a truck that costs two to three times what the competing solution is. So that's where you've got to have these grants and prove this stuff really works. And then that will encourage investors to come in, entrepreneurs to come in. But you've got to start somewhere. And we've got to know that the product works. You know, we, we trade our trucks every four to five years, depending on the use of the truck. So with, you know, 16,000 plus company trucks, we're going to trade. And you do the math, you know, 4,000 trucks a year or so. Well, we can't step out and buy 3,000 or 4,000 trucks that have just been tested for a little while we have to see this produced and the results over and over and over it's like you know i'd like to ask all your listeners when did you buy your first flat screen tv you didn't buy the ten thousand dollar one probably you kept seeing them come down to eight to six to four maybe you jumped in at two thousand or maybe you're like me and jumped in at twelve hundred or maybe you've waited till now and jumped in at four hundred well not only is the cost coming down the quality's been going up and that same thing happens with this technology You have to be careful about when and how you jump in and be very thoughtful about it. And that's, again, where the government grant money can incentivize people to get out there and test it. And let me say this. You know, we've got dedicated business with over 10,000 tractors. We'll put trucks on for anybody, anywhere, any type of equipment they want. They just have to sign up to pay for that truck. So the customers that are, you know, they ask a lot of questions about this, but once they start seeing that price, you know, they start, you know, kind of backing off a little bit. So that's why there needs to be incentives to get that customer to bite off so that we can get an agreement with them to put this equipment in and prove out how efficient, how good it is for for our environment and for our customers and for the safety of the motoring public. How well is the government at this point supporting the experimentation with these kinds of technologies? Well, you know, we all give California a hard time about a lot of things, but I will say California has the the most uh, grant funding available right now. But it's it's not always clear exactly what you have to do to get it and uh, how long it's going to be there. An example, like in our case, sometimes you have to dispose of a truck to get the grant money. You have to dispose of the, the, the current truck you're operating. Well, right now, our oldest truck is, you know, five years old. So that that makes it very difficult. We can't put that old truck in the graveyard and give up an investment that's still worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. But what they are doing now with some new grant money is they're allowing you to substitute, meaning that they find a a way to get our five-year-old truck to somebody that has a 10-year-old truck and let them dispose of the 10-year-old truck and take our five-year-old truck. When you look at the total cost of ownership, it's really hard to justify this for an individual firm. And that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit, is that this is almost by definition a public good, just like the interstate highway system was. You know, it's like everyone might be better off with this, but no one firm can scale this to the point where they could make it cost justifiable. But... In the meantime, of course, companies can be experimenting and trying to figure out what they can do. And I asked you a little bit about the grants that are available to carriers, but how about to OEMs? Yeah, and a great point. And we really count on our OEMs. We do work with our OEMs very closely. We need them to be able to produce large numbers. You know, we can't buy an add-on kit, you know, that you just stick on the side or... 
uh, you know, behind the truck. It's got to be something that comes off the line that has a parts and distribution network. We have to have, you know, reliable uptime. That, that truck needs to be available to run and it needs to be able to be repaired at a decent price. It needs to be able to be repaired quickly. It needs to have a residual value. It needs to be able to have the range that we have today. So when you put all those things in, that total cost of ownership is a real challenge right now. So, Craig, to the extent you can share with us, what are some current initiatives or experiments that J.B. Hunt is doing along these lines? Yeah, well, we're currently running 160 natural gas trucks, also testing out the electric trucks as our OEMs make them available. And that's what I was talking about earlier. You can't go to one of the major OEMs today and buy any production-ready electric truck and certainly not buy one in any mass quantities right now. So we're working with OEMs on the products and the design that, that they um, are looking at bringing out as far as the, the uh, electric vehicles go. And then also we're testing those trucks that I commented about earlier with the Freightliner trucks. One other question I have uh, about this is when I think about hydrogen fuel cells, hydrogen is very explosive. If we move to a hydrogen kind of an economy, how will they move it around and store it safely? Yeah, hydrogen actually is, by most people's analysis, safer than the gasoline that you have in your car right now. And the reason for that is so much lighter, it goes up in the air quickly, Hmm. disseminates quickly. Versus if you're in an accident with gasoline, you know, it can spill on the vehicle or unfortunately spill on the individual and cause, obviously, death, severe damage, whatever else. So hydrogen is actually safer than gasoline or diesel. And I think you'd get the entire uh, scientific community backing that up. So if cars and trucks move towards hydrogen fuel cells, would there be filling stations like we have today where you go and get hydrogen fuel? That, that gets back to your chicken or the, your egg question, because most people, it seems, would feel that hydrogen is lagging the uh, battery electric side by some number of years. You could argue whether that's three years or eight years or whatever, because you've got to get that price of that, that hydrogen down. Remember, we talked about the expense of of obtaining the hydrogen, but then you've got to transport it. You either have to compress it or you have to liquefy it. And to liquefy that hydrogen, you have to get it to minus 453 degrees. The answer is that's uh, off ways because they're so expensive to put in. So you're going to first see it at where you have a lot of density. I don't remember the exact numbers, but... Our country has one of the best networks of pipelines in the world, the best network of pipelines in the world. And I read, I can't remember now, but something like, say, 25% of the ton miles of things moved are moved through pipeline. And we don't usually think of it as a mode you know, of transportation. Of course, it's primarily moving petroleum products. But it seems like could some of our pipeline infrastructure be redesigned to be able to move hydrogen? You can actually move hydrogen in the existing natural gas pipelines, a small percent though. 
5%. There will have to be some work done on the pipelines to be able to move hydrogen if that's the form in which we choose to have it move. So, so Craig, as I said at the beginning, of course, you're the chief operations officer. So you, you have a lot of responsibility that spans everything from drivers to just all kinds of things for the company from an operations perspective. And I would think that kind of perspective really helps when you're boundary spanning and looking forward. Yeah, you know, I work a lot with the hiring of drivers, with safety, and with fuel. And all those blend in together because obviously drivers know fuel is critical. And being able to refuel quickly, because one thing we didn't hit on, remember the driver's time is only, we're only utilizing as an industry, we're only use, utilizing seven hours out of their available 11. And so we've got to find a way to use that time because talking about sustainability and improving efficiency, and that's our goal at J.B. Hunt is to have the most efficient transportation network in North America. And a lot of that starts with using that driver's available time. Then the other part is putting the right load on the right truck at the right time. And that's what we do through J.B. Hunt 360, eliminate all those empty miles. So, yes, by working with drivers and talking to carriers and working with the fueling and working with safety, it, it does blend in together very well. So you've had a really interesting career, and you've wound up in a place that's really utilizing your gifts and talents well, and you're making a big difference and have for quite a while. But you didn't know you were going to wind up here when you were in college. No, not at all. And that's pretty common. You you thought you wanted to be a dentist, and many students know of a very small set of options, and they sometimes pursue those. And But many times when you gravitate towards things you're really interested in and passionate about or just maybe strong in, you tend to excel. Yeah, man, I would tell your students, former students, uh, Take out the earbuds. People hear me say that and go, okay, what does that mean? It means be aware of what's going on around you. You don't know where that next opportunity may, may show up and who it may show up with and what industry it may be in. So take out those earbuds, meet the people around you, network, learn all you can. There's no reason not to learn everything, anything you want to learn now. Go to school, get that background, and then when something kind of triggers an interest, Go download the podcast. Go watch YouTube videos. You and I joke about it all the yeah. time, but there's no reason why people can't continue their education long after their formal education in college or graduate school, and, and I do that. I feel like I want to know more about my subject when I'm in the room than anybody else, so I'm going to study it like crazy. I'm going to dig into it. I'm going to peel back every layer of that onion to get down to the heart of it so that I can understand it and talk about it and feel that I'm convinced that it's the right thing to do. Well, you know, students, of course, have access to YouTube and many other form, you know, podcasts, et cetera. And, and there's a certain percentage of students that really enjoy that. But you're right. It's, it really never ends. It's almost like learning to learn while you're young is a good idea. You can't be a successful leader, and you can't be very successful at anything without being a constant yeah. student. I agree. You know, when you when there's something that comes up and you say, I wonder how that's done or how they do that, go ahead, Google it right then. Find out what that answer is. And you'll see that 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, an hour on the weekend, it all adds up. 
and it can be very rewarding. Thank you so much, Craig. This has been outstanding. Thank you, Matt. Always love seeing you and getting to visit. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C Podcast. And now, Be Epic. Be Epic.